Hello, good morning, and welcome to Bethel Lutheran Church today, this second Sunday in Advent. And welcome to those of you who are listening online, wherever you find yourselves. We pray that God would surround you and speak to you and bless you as you think upon the scriptures for today in this second Sunday of Advent. Today we will be hearing two lessons, uh, one from Isaiah chapter 11 and the second from the book of Luke, the first chapter, which is the Annunciation. Isaiah describes the coming of a future ideal ruler who will renew David's royal line, the stump of Jesse, Gifted by the Spirit of God, this ruler will reign with perfect justice. Enmity and danger will be restored to harmony and peaceful coexistence. And in the book of Luke, we hear the story of the Annunciation, where the angel Gabriel comes to a young woman named Mary, a woman of Nazareth. And Luke makes it clear that God comes with good news for ordinary people from little-known places. This king will not be born to royalty in a palace, but to common folk in a stall. Here Luke highlights the role of the Spirit with special emphasis in this gospel. So let us enjoy our worship together. The Gospel reading for this morning is from the book of Luke, chapter 1, beginning with verse 26. In the sixth month of Elizabeth's pregnancy, God sent an angel Gabriel to Nazareth, a town in Galilee, to a virgin pledged to be married to a man named Joseph, a descendant of David. The virgin's name was Mary. The angel went to her and said, Greetings, you who are highly favored. The Lord is with you. Mary was greatly troubled at his words and wondered what kind of greeting this might be. But the angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary. You have found favor with God. You will conceive and give birth to a son, and you are to call him Jesus. He will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High. The Lord God will give him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over Jacob's descendants forever. His kingdom will never end. Well, how can this be, Mary asked the angel, since I am a virgin? And the angel answered, The Holy Spirit will come upon you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. So the Holy One to be born will be called the Son of God. Even Elizabeth, your relative, is going to have a child in her old age, and she who was said to be unable to conceive is in her sixth month. For no word from God will ever fail. I am the Lord's servant, Mary answered. May your word to me be fulfilled. And then the angel left her. 
Good morning once again. What a joy it is to be with you again this week. And for those of you I have not yet met, I am Mary Steinweber, a regular guest pastor here at Bethel. And it has been a while since I was last here, I think October. And my prayers and thoughts have been with you in this time of transition as you say goodbye to your beloved Pastor Amy and as you walk into a time of the unknown and new possibility. Let us pray together. God, thank you that you uh, desire so much to speak to our hearts and to come to us. Thank you that healing happens uh, through our bodies and minds and spirits and, and our hearts in ways that we don't fully understand. And we pray today that You will alight upon us as we worship you and think about your um, visitation to our sister Mary in Nazareth. And we ask your blessings as we think upon your word. We ask that you would move and unsettle us a little bit that we might be able to hear you in new ways. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Today we heard the story of the Annunciation, the announcement of the Incarnation by the angel Gabriel to Mary. We are witnessing an astounding moment when heaven meets earth with one of the heavenly hosts, the angel Gabriel, who surprises a very young woman, Mary, with a terrifying announcement that will turn her world upside down and that will turn her world around. There was a time when I thought that this story was outrageous and unbelievable. But after studying and reading and walking through the book of Acts with you these last seven months or so, it feels rather tame. Now Luke is said to have written both books, the book of Acts and the book of Luke. Acts was so full of outrageous miracles, healings, visitations of angels, earthquakes, shipwrecks and astounding resilience that this story of Mary and the angel feels hmm, approachable, maybe. In both books, the Gospel of Luke and the Book of Acts, the boundaries of heaven and earth are not as fixed as we regularly experience. In these stories of this Advent Christmas season, we see wondrous interplay between the realms. Angels come with strange invitations and glorious announcements. Wise men watch the skies and follow a star. Shepherds see light and find a baby in a manger. Ordinary people open themselves to the purposes of God, becoming a means by which God works on the earth. God becomes incarnate in Christ, joins human flesh, choosing to enter fully into our human life for the purpose of showing us how heaven is already in our midst. What we tend to experience as separate realms are, in fact, part of one realm in which God is everywhere at work. This is such a rich and familiar story to many of us. It is for many the heart of the Christmas story. 
It is so many faceted and full that I want to just take a part of it that caught my attention. It is verse 38. Here is my paraphrase. Well, okay, yes. Let it be. Here I am. Mary's courage to say yes to the angel Gabriel, even if they had only just met, caught my attention. It was a yes, a stunning willingness to begin a journey that she had no idea about, no pre-thought, no map. This was blind faith. When Mary says, let it be to the archangel, it is an act of radical surrender. She offers her assent, not meekly. This kind of surrender is born not of weakness, but out of daring strength within her and a stunning grace that shows up to sustain her. Mary's surrender is deliberate, the choice of a woman ready to give herself to the sacred with such abandon that she agrees with intention to give up every last plan she had for her life. Well, okay, yes, let it be, here I am. It is for me difficult to imagine that Mary could say yes when she knew almost nothing about what God was asking of her. It does say in verse 29 that she was perplexed and pondered what sort of greeting this was. She said, I am not sure how this will be. And the angel reminded her, nothing is impossible with God. Actually, in the Greek, no word from God shall be without power. No word from God shall be without power. Isn't this the strangest story? It is full of mystery and awe. And we are reminded of God's greatness and power. In the very next verse, we find the young woman, then, who sings about God's love for the lowly and how God lifts up the lowly and heals the broken. It is this very young woman that God decided to be a partner with. Several years ago, I was listening to uh, National Public Radio to a program called Heretics. And there was a story about Pastor Carlton Pearson, who some of you may have heard of, who was a rising star in the evangelical Christian community, a charismatic and popular leader living in Tulsa, Oklahoma. He was a member of the Board of Regents of Oral Roberts University. He appeared on the 700 Club with Pat Robertson, and under Pastor Pearson's leadership, his church grew to more than 5,000 members. Everything in his ministry was going strong until one day he started thinking about hell. He had always had a little problem with the idea of hell, and now his problem has grown into charges of heresy that are unraveling his entire church. One day when he was seeking God and thinking about world news and the genocide in Rwanda, he heard God say, I want you to represent me. Actually, I want you to re-present me. I want you to speak for me. 
I don't want you to tell people that they are damned. I want you to represent me to the people. With this, his ideas about hell were changing, and so did his ideas about an open-armed gospel. He began to understand God differently. He stopped preaching about people being damned and began to speak about God's saving grace. And with that, he began to see the extreme love of God, who rather than wanting to make the realm of God very small, saw the expansive terrain of God. He began to welcome those who are unwelcome in other places, the poor, the old, the young, men and women and children, the addicted, the mentally ill, people from other countries, people of other religions, gay and lesbian people, people in Oklahoma. Well, Pastor Pearson was a big wig in the Pentecostal church, and he was known all over the country, led conferences with 30,000 people attending. And when he began to represent God and the salvation of the world through the life and death and resurrection of Jesus, things began to change for him. Many of the parishioners were troubled with his changes. The turning came a bit at a time. It began at the congregational level. People didn't want to hear the news of grace that Jesus died for all people. The church became a small church of about a 100 people. He was declared a heretic. He lost his friends. He was kicked off the Board of Regents of Oral Roberts. The bank foreclosed on his church building. His oldest and dearest Christians, brothers and sisters, left him. And even those that chose to stay with him found that they were suspected heretics as well. It was devastating, he said. It is like I died. They never spoke to me again. They had forgotten about me. He said if, if he had known the magnitude of the cost when God spoke to him that day, he never would have said yes. Remember the promise of Gabriel, no word from God shall be without power. This call to represent the gospel had power to destroy what had been built and then had power to raise up something in its place. Pastor Pearson was asked to come to San Francisco to a fellowship international conference. And he said most of the congregation was gay and were followers of Jesus. He said that he preached and when he finished, the congregation stood and clapped for him. And then the pastor led the people to hug him because they knew that he had been so hurt. And then he said the most amazing thing happened. The pastor of the congregation bent over, knelt down, and then she began to wash my feet. He said it was the most holy experience of his life. God has turned his world upside down. God is turning the world around.
Now Martin Luther loved Mary of Nazareth. To Luther, Mary represented the typical pattern of God's interaction with humans. Indeed, not just interaction, but election. That is, it wasn't Mary's goodness or innocence or beauty or her willingness to serve God that Luther focused on. And that fact to Luther is perhaps even shocking. God didn't choose a royal princess, but a plain and at least to the world's eyes utterly insignificant young girl. God chose her. God elected her. God addressed her and honored her and elevated her. Nobody would have expected this, which is why Luther loved her. Because she stands for all of us who have no right to expect God's attention and favor and yet are surprised to discover that God has chosen, elected, called, addressed, and honored each of us. Grace. Mary said, yes, okay, let it be. Carlton Pearson said, yes, okay, let it be. Martin Luther also was compelled to say yes. Their willingness to say yes to God has affected generation after generation. That ripple effect that I talked about several months ago. Reverend Isaac Miller writes about the partnership with people and the Holy Spirit. He says, well, somebody has got to say yes to God if the work of salvation is to begin. The tradition says Mary consented poetically in the Magnificat. After a night dream, Joseph did too. Mary's cousin Elizabeth and her husband Zachariah said yes. Jesus had a family and that family, those parents had to say yes to their roles in nurturing, changing diapers, instructing and sharing God's love in loving Jesus as he grew and kept saying yes to God and even yes on the cross. These yeses from the lips of those who have lived before us and from our own hearts and lips are the very agents that turn the world around. It really does not matter whether Mary and Joseph and Carlton fully understood what they were saying yes to. It matters that they did say yes, even when they did not know the specifics of what lay ahead. And again, Pastor Pearson said if he had known ahead of time what he was representing, he would never have done it. But the yes that the text seeks is really quite remarkable. It is yes to God's power, God's love working in us. It is God seeking our consent. Mary was invited to carry God into the world through, in, and with her body. God came to earth to live as a person, infant baby Jesus, for a short while. We are invited at the communion table to carry God as well. We are welcomed to hold up our hands and to receive the body of Christ, to ingest that body into our own cells and then to be inhabited by the holy 
to carry God into the world once more. So maybe today when you have lifted your hands and you hear the words, the body of Christ broken for you, you will get to say yes. Perhaps our work is to be open to hear, to seek God's glory in our lives, and to be willing to say yes. Okay, let it be thy will. And God will do the rest. Thanks be to God. A poem written by Jan Richardson, who is a United Methodist minister, It is a poem written in the angel Gabriel's voice. For a moment I hesitated on the threshold. For the space of a breath I paused, unwilling to disturb her last ordinary moment, knowing that the next step would cleave her life, that this day would slice her story in two, dividing all the days before from all the ones to come. The artist would later depict the scene, Mary dazzled by the archangel, her head bowed in humble assent, awed by the messenger who condescended to leave paradise and bestow such an honor upon a woman, a mortal. Yet I tell you, it was I who was dazzled, I who found myself agape when I came upon her reading at the loom in the kitchen I cannot recall now. Only that the woman before me, blessed and full of grace, long before I called her so, shimmered with how completely she inhabited herself, inhabited the space around her, inhabited the moment that hung between us. I wanted to save her from what I had been sent to say. Yet when the time came when I had stammered the invitation, History would not record the sweat on my brow, the pounding of my heart would not note that I said, do not be afraid to myself as much as to her. It was she who saved me, her first deliverance, her let it be, not just declaration to the divine, but a word of solace, of soothing, of benediction. For the angel in the doorway who would hesitate one last time, just before the space of a breath torn from his chest, before wrenching himself away from her radiant consent, her beautiful and awful yes.